secret is fake Russian. What's the difference between fake and real? Well, what, what my t-shirt is doing is using the Cyrillic alphabet to spell out the English name St. Petersburg. Oh. So, if an actual Russian were to read it, they'd be, read something like Oh. And then they'd laugh at me Scary. for being, being a total fraud. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Speaking of total fraud, uh -huh. this has like nothing to do with that. It's a friend's birthday today, so we went for lunch. Mm -hmm. Ugh, we went to this place called The One. It's basically an all-you-can-eat buffet, right? And it's super expensive to get in, and the food was delicious. But we only arrived at one, and what happened was that we were ordering a lot of food, and it was delicious, it was great, we're having a great time. But then eventually the waitress comes up to us and she says, okay, cool guys, you need to stop ordering at two because you have to leave by 2.30. I'm like, okay. I didn't know there was a time limit to this. What ensued was a communication breakdown. So on the one end of the table, we had a bunch of South Africans and the other end of the table was a bunch of French people. What ended up happening was the French people weren't fully communicating with the South African people. I'm not saying the French are bad communicators. I'm saying that communally at the table, we were all bad communicators. <laughs> we maybe over-ordered, and then like at two, all this food starts coming. Like oh, fuck. big bowls of fresh salmon sashimi, and fucking slices of, uh, of roast pork, and there's lamb, and there's eel, and crab, and all kinds of prawns, uh, shrimp for everybody not in South Africa. Yeah? They're like, yeah, okay, cool. You're gonna have to finish eating. Uh, you have to leave at 2.30. The special ends at 2.30. It's, that's just the way it is. So, fucking dude, it devolved so quickly. And eventually, people were like having arguments about who needs to finish <laughs> what dish. <laughs> Some of the French people at the table were like, yeah, we have to do rock, paper, scissors. And they were like, okay, no. who's finishing this plate? And it's like, rock, paper, scissors. And if they lose, they're like, oh, God, oh, and then they're, oh, no. oh, it was so intense. And I felt And like, then everyone just get like super, super stuffed. Yeah, yeah. And like free wine. So I've been drinking Oof. too. Oof. I feel intoxicated by all the food. It was delicious. And I don't regret it. It's just funny to me that you could do something like that in communist China. Yeah, it wasn't very communist of you guys. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I guess that does it for this episode of the Food Network. Oh, no, that's already a different thing. The Overeating <laughs> Network. The Overeating, the Too Much Food Network. Heart Attack Watch, day one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you, if you do slip into a coma or get an aneurysm at any time while we're recording, feel free to just push through it and don't don't stop talking yeah yeah of course i'm a professional i'm not gonna i'm not gonna let a simple thing like a life-threatening condition stop me from recording this podcast so brave you're so brave razor i'm so brave <laughs> <laughs> that means it's time to switch over to the b-side podcast that we sometimes do called b, b positive, positive. The Positive B-Movie Podcast. Uh, I am ya boy, Louis. And I am... Ye gods. It's Fraser again. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Special treat this episode. Before we get started, I just want to thank all the new listeners uh, that we've been getting yeah. recently. Thank y'all for... Uh, Spending time with us inside your head. Yeah, we really, really appreciate that. I just hope you're enjoying the episodes and not doing this as some sort of a torturous, self-destructive thing. I'd, I'm pretty sure it's not that. Yeah, So yeah. if you are new to the podcast, what we do around here is we watch some of the worst movies ever made and then we try to convince you, unironically, that they're some of the best movies ever made. Is it fully unironic? An earnest attempt at being unironic? All right. I because, mean, um, sometimes it's a little tough. 
I remember a few years back, people were throwing around the word irony a bit too much, and then people were like, oh, you mm. don't even know what irony means. Uh, and then now, I'm just confused. I don't actually know what irony means. No. You don't need to know I, what irony means anymore. We're in a post-irony society. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's fake news, folks. <laughs> it's all irony fake is fake news. news. Uh, I'll tell you what isn't fake news. This week, tell me. we're doing Creep Show by... Creep. George Romero and Stephen King. Because I went into this one blind. I just downloaded it. I mean, bought it. <laughs> paid, and I was so surprised. the full uh, market price. <laughs> I was so surprised that it's a, a George Romero movie written by Stephen King, starring, among others, Ted Danson. Leslie Nielsen. And Stephen King himself. I mean, that's where uh, we lose the A-list status uh, of this film is where they actually cast Stephen King in an acting role. But I don't think he did a, a, a terrible job. Yeah, Creepshow, first off, it's an anthology film, so all of these great actors aren't on screen at the same time. Yeah. And in Stephen King's segment, The Lonesome Death of Jordy? Uh, yeah, Jordy Lorval, I think. Jordy Barrel. Oopsie. This is but my Lorval form. <laughs> that one segment specifically was extremely cartoony but mm. let's do this like we've been doing all the anthology films we'll take it segment by segment yep. starting and ending with framing narrative i gotta love a framing narrative that's where you put all your things so the framing <laughs> na- narrative for Creepshow is a young boy played by Stephen King's son Joe Hill who is yeah. now also an author in his own right is reading a comic called Creepshow. And his dad walks in, slaps him around, takes away the comic book, and chucks it in the trash, and triumphantly tells his wife, that's why God made dads, babe. Which I was like, <laughs> that's not... I feel like... I don't know if that's like the, the memo. Yeah, no, I think there are at least three inaccuracies in that sentence. <laughs> so, um, weird crypt keeper-like creature appears at the boy's window, and the boy mm. smiles evilly, and we jump right into the, yeah. the first of the five creep shows. So, yeah, I think it's important to note that the comic the kid is reading, this creep show comic, looks a lot like the horror, supernatural, pulp comics that caused quite a, a stir and quite a moral panic back in the day. Yeah, they basically uh, caused the creation of the, like, comic Code the the ACA, the yeah the ACA. The reason why comics got lame. Yeah, w- that when comics were all just like, let me help you across the street, man. Another job yeah. well done for Superman. Using his superpowers for super justice. So it is super interesting to me that comics in in their early days, you know, had an element of edginess and maturity that would only then like reappear again in the in the 80s or 90s yeah i would say like the edginess came back in the 80s but maturity only came back to comics in the Mm. 90s uh because the edge came back it was just like 12 year old boys idea of edge you know just big guns and bigger biceps (laughs) okay so is there anything else we need to mention about the framing narrative just one thing um the boy in his defense when his father is like oh this is trash this is trash boy why are you reading trash the boy is like well it's not much worse than what you keep in the drawer Uh, Uh, he's like alluding to his dad's porno mags and his dad's like don't mention Uh my sins you boy Yeah, and he does slap him. He does slap him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, why why wouldn't you slap a boy? It's the hot new game that's taking America by storm. Child abuse and then going to jail because it's wrong. Uh, it was a test. Well, this dad, For all of you listeners this, who just said, oh, I don't know why you wouldn't slap a boy. Mm, they're coming for you. We, we got you. We got uh, you. <laughs> you got got. Although this dad does not go to jail. Uh, though his fate oh, no, no, no. maybe even worse, but we'll get to that. So the first, the first segment is called Father's Day. Sticking to the theme of dads, Father's Day is about, I guess, an aristocratic family? Yeah, definitely. Wealthy. Yeah, the house seems like it's sort of southern gentry, yeah, yeah. Ar- aristocracy, landowners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
big money there's a few people in the house among them ed harris uh who you yes ed harris definitely know from uh westworld because i assume everyone's watched westworld he's black hat guy uh i don't think he's maybe has a name in the series but then i'm bad with names so ed harris is married to um again not super good with the names uh yeah, but he's married to uh, he's married to a woman uh her brother is also there and their mother or aunt or something uh is with them it is the mother all right and they're with their mom and they're having this discussion about great aunt bedelia now great aunt bedelia is famous in the family for murdering her father and also not going to jail so I guess Creepshow just exists in a world where there is no law. Yeah, they seem to all know what she did. They tell the story of of her bashing her dad's head in with an ashtray. But I think, yeah, it says something about the way their social bonds are set up that they wouldn't take that to the police. Yeah. That it remains an, an internal matter. Yeah, and you find that a lot with people who come from wealth is that mm. their sins or their crimes are kept within their circle and not spoken about because it's assumed that this person has that much more to lose by going to jail or facing repercussions. Yeah. So it's just better not to have any of these things. And I'm like, no, that that no. doesn't make um. sense. Yeah, especially also, you know, if they have a uh, reputation to protect, they might also, you know, keep something like that secret in order to hold up the mask that they're presenting to the world. Yeah. So, great Aunt Bedelia, every year on Father's Day, which is the day she murdered her dad, she goes back Mm -hmm. to this family mansion and she goes to her father's grave and meditates, uh, in quotation marks, (laughs) uh, basically just drinks whiskey and you know rants at her dead dad for a few hours then she comes in for dinner and everything's cool this year however dad comes back yeah she's uh drinking on that grave and i guess she's a little sozzled so she tips over the whiskey onto the grave and uh the way it's shot definitely makes it look like the whiskey is the reanimating liquid that brings dear old dad back from the grave uh good old jim beam (laughs) daddy don't like that scotch Mm, the sauce of life he only wants the bourbon well bourbon he only wants yeah he only wants his cake so the way he dies there's a little flashback so we have daddy sitting with his cane just like thwack 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 with his cane just trying to get his daughter to bring him a cake while Mm. she's preparing this cake for him He's also hurling curses at her and just all around being a dickhead. Eventually, she walks up with a marble ashtray and just thunk, bye-bye dad. So in classic Romero fashion, daddy claws his way Mm. out of the grave. And instead of later zombie flicks would do where the zombies are craving brains and they're Mm. like, brains, give me brain. This, This zombie is just like, Cake, give me cake. Where's my that, cake, man. Bodelia? He doesn't give her any chance to go fetch his cake, though, because yeah, he just kills her. I think the cake might be a metaphor. I think, yeah, yeah, let's let's do this. Uh, I think the cake <laughs> is is a metaphor for his family's subservience to him, right? It's clear that uh, he yes. he wants to exercise control over everyone in the family. He sees himself as the patriarch and he gets them to bake him a cake for Father's Day? I've never heard of that. So I think the There's cake no da- represents Daddy him. Daddy Day cake. Yeah, just forcing them to do something for him in order for his dominance to be established. He just wants his, to have his cake and eat it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, being undead, I don't think he wants to eat cake. I don't think it'll help. Also, word of the day, he's a revenant. That's a word for someone who returns from the dead to accomplish some revengeful purpose. Okay. 
I'm pretty sure so. I've I've encountered a revenant while playing D and D. Uh, <laughs> but I never knew what why it came back. I just thought it was it was just being a naughty boy. That's a central difference between a zombie and a revenant is that the revenant has yeah. some real purpose. Yeah, a motive and some intelligence. I, I'm assuming because mm. uh, the traditional zombie is not very chatty. No. So Daddy Dearest goes on to kill Ed Harris. He kills the two siblings. His mom. He actually just like rips her head right off. And he also unfortunately kills the maid, the servant they have. Mm-hmm. I mean, she doesn't have anything to do with this. That's so unfair. No, I mean, she worked for him and she's still working for the family because it's a steady job. And I get that. People need jobs. Yeah. Very sad. He then brings out this platter with the dead mother's head on it with some icing sugar on top. Mm, and a candle and to uh the two surviving family members the youngest family members he presents this head and says i have my cake (laughs) i also like the way they've done these segments because you start with a comic book panel and it's drawn in classic comic book style and then you you fade into a scene that looks exactly like the comic book panel and then the actors just start moving Mm. uh it's very reminiscent again of reading those ec comics yeah super pulpy yeah we then fade back into the comic book frame after he's got his cake uh, and that sort of ends the first segment i feel this segment largely speaks to freud and later lacan's ideas around the return of the repressed yeah where you know bedelia and daddy couldn't resolve their issues because neither one of them was willing to let up and obviously daddy had been abusing bedelia you know in a psychological way and so the act of killing him was a way for her to not deal with her relationship with him yeah and so according to lacan when you do that when you completely shut something off that's called foreclosure and it's something that then doesn't manifest your ego but it it manifests as something external to you. So Lacan would say like persecutory hallucinations. In this case, your dad coming back from the dead because you spilled whiskey on his grave. That's taking it to a literal interpretation of Lacan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, and I think uh, that idea of what you want to get rid of coming back to bite you in the face. About the face and neck. Uh, I think that's a theme that runs through most of these stories, except for this next one. Yes, the lonesome death of Jordy Barrel. This one's great. So a hick finds a meteor landed in his front yard, and I'm not calling him a hick. They really go to great lengths to make him a hick stereotype. Oh yeah, he's played by Stephen King, and you can see that <laughs> apparently the the <laughs> direction that Romero gave King was your this character is Wiley e. Coyote going off a cliff and it's, he does have a sort of yeah. looney tune sort of he does manic energy about him yeah this is also definitely i think the funniest one. Oh yeah so he finds his meteor and he's like oh boy i'm gonna get 200 dollars <laughs> and he touches it and he's like ow and he pours water on it it breaks open releases what he calls meteor shit yeah <laughs> and uh what what this meteor is doing is it creates this alien like leafy mold thing to start growing so of course it's growing all around the house but it's now also growing on his fingers uh which he is constantly sucking because he burned them he realizes too late that he's been sucking on these fingers checks his tongue and his tongue is also covered in some fresh growth yeah and from there, it escalates pretty quickly. Within, you know, a couple of hours in his time, he's comp- he's got this giant mold beard. His arms yeah. are full of mold. The whole house is being taken over by it. He decides to take a bath to relieve the itching. His dad appears as a ghost to tell him, don't do it. Don't go in the water side. Another dad. Returning from the dead, interestingly. But this time friendlier well Eh, nicer kind of interestingly he does end up looking a bit like swamp thing uh, from (laughs) again from comics and the co-creator of swamp thing bernie wrightson illustrated the animated book for each of the the shocking shorts oh really yeah so it's it's very it's a little bit of uh trivia 
for mm. all those trivia nerds out there. And on, there are a lot of them. There are quite a few. Not super interesting. What ends up happening with Jordy is he, he cannot resist the water. He gets into the water. Uh, we cut to a few hours later. The house is covered in this, yeah. this growth. And we see a large patch of it move. And it's just Jordy. And he's just fully covered he's looking like swamp thing uh, yeah. he's sort of begging for forgiveness as he pulls a shotgun across and this is where it gets sad he shoots himself Kurt Cobain style yeah I wa- he looks like when you're wearing a ghillie suit in PUBG for anyone yeah. out there who plays you'll know what that looks like because a constant theme throughout the thing is him saying like oh I just got bad luck you spell that luck b-a-d yeah. And he kind of bemoans his, his misfortune throughout. Um, and clearly, he, he kind of does have bad luck. At the very end, when he's pulling the shotgun across, he says, uh, Oh, Lord, just this once, let me have good luck. He does, because the shotgun worked, and he can I guess. end his suffering. It's a very I sad good luck. Yeah, it's a final good luck. If you read it uh, at face value, it's very, it's comic. It's not that serious. But then if you look a little bit deeper and you imagine, for instance, it's a man dying alone of cancer uh, in an isolated cabin. This is not sped up, but this, yeah. I mean, this scenario could take years or months. Uh, it does take on a much more horrific tone. Definitely. The main thing I want to bring up about this is it reminded me a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's short story, The Color Out of Space. Uh, that's one I haven't read yet. Yeah. So basically what happens in The Color Out of Space, we have a farm. A meteor strikes down and there's all these funny little colors coming out and this weird growth starts happening like the the ground around the meteor is being uh, corrupted and it slowly starts to take over the farm and the animals suffer and the people go Mm -hmm. mad and uh, you're a classic Lovecraftian jibber-jabber but it's it's basically this is Stephen King's version of that story. Mm. Yeah, it's probably a direct reference. King King and Romero would know that they're doing that. Yeah, strangely though, uh, this is this specific short is one of the short stories that King had written before he was writing Creepshow. So this uh, was a, already a story okay. he had written. Okay, that they just adapted for the for the film. Yeah, interesting. And I think also psychologically, thematically, it speaks to letting little problems get out of hand, in a sense. Yeah. Where you're so paralyzed by your own inactivity that you allow little things to completely overwhelm you. Yeah. It's like that comic, uh, I forget who the artist was, of the dog sitting at the table and his house is on fire and he says, this is Uh, fine. This is fine. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, That artist, interestingly enough, uh, he was so shocked that it became like this cultural phenomenon that Mm -hmm. he added a panel where the dog's like, this is not fine and starts freaking out because people were using that (laughs) as sort of a mascot for their own inactivity and their own refusal to, you know, try and do something about their situation. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to let everyone just think about that for a second. Hmm. Hmm. All right, okay. that's enough thinking um, back to the show. <laughs> so your boy Stephen King dies, but the alien weed plague is not nearly over. And we, in the final shot, we can see it spreading down the road on the way to the nearest big city. You know what? He should have just like uh, chopped off that beard rolled it up and try to smoke it oh yeah burn that that dank alien weed (laughs) these nugs (laughs) (laughs) nug the nug from out of space Uh, i'm pretty sure that's a that has to be a movie we'll do that in april yeah Um, the next segment is called something to tide you over womp womp (laughs) <laughs> That's like the most direct pun in, in this thing. Do You do get to see a lot of Stephen King's sense of, sense of humor uh, mm. coming out in these... Like, I was watching this with my fiancé, and I told her, like, this feels like I'm watching a kid's horror movie. Mm, it's definitely. not very scary, but it's, like, schlocky and pulpy, and it's, it's just over-the-top enough for kids yeah. to enjoy. Yeah, I'd say it, it pushes a little bit further than, like, the Goosebumps TV show. Yeah, yeah, there's some gore. Yeah, it's a kid's horror movie for adults. Yeah, pretty much. 
So something to tide you over has the most star power of all the yeah. segments. We've got Leslie Nielsen and Ted Whoop. Danson. And there's also a third character, uh, Becky, I believe her name is. But mm -hmm. we don't get to see too much of her. Uh, it's mainly the dynamic between Leslie Nielsen and Ted Ted Danson driving this segment. Yeah, and this one is about a evil madman who finds out his wife is cheating on him. So he decides to bury them both up to their necks on the shore and wait for the tide to come in and drown them. And he, he watches this all through his extensive and worrying array of CCTV cameras and surveillance equipment. Yeah. And then, of course, they do both die and then return as water revenant. Yeah, a lot uh, of revenant. Yeah, right? To yeah. put the kill on him. And they go and, and bury him. Yeah. Also, while, while I was watching this, I thought, man, you could just stand up if you were buried up to your neck in sand. Because you're vertical, uh, the sand is maybe five centimeters. Mm. I guess that's two inches for around about two inches for our American listeners. From your shoulders, you could just wiggle a little bit. Yeah. And you'd get yourself free. But nope, Ted Danson and Becky, they don't wiggle. They just drown. It's too bad they didn't have twerking back then. It might have saved their lives. Yeah. Yeah, this uh, one is pretty simple. I think it, it speaks to the patriarchy again. Mm -hmm. where Leslie Nielsen's character is very possessive. And he, he clearly states that he's not rational when it comes to that which belongs to him. Uh, so he's claiming ownership, like physical, like you can own a doll type ownership over his oh. wife. Which, yeah, I'll definitely yuck that. <laughs> so I, I understand he's not feeling super dope. His wife's been cheating on him. He's probably emotionally wrecked. He's not actually motivated by the emotion of betrayal. Yeah. It's yeah. Ted Danson has taken what belongs to me. Yeah, it's almost like he's he's like a, a king with power over life here, right? It's not about, yeah, like you said, it's not about his emotions. It's about his made up laws that he needs to enforce. Yeah, it's almost like he needs to do this to reassert his own dominance over reality. He needs yeah. to destroy to show to himself that he is powerful. And I think, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a way we can tell that he's actually maybe not internally comfortable with doing this yeah. because he uses the bizarre camera setup to keep track of them drowning. Because if he was really enjoying the kill, wouldn't he be sitting on a beach chair front and center Making sure that they yeah. firstly don't get away and getting, you know, full color view of the drowning. Yeah. And also there's this one scene where he's sort of watching it and he does seem for a moment to show remorse and regret for what mm. he has done. Yeah, but that quickly fades. I think the screens are a way for him to put kind of a veneer of rationality or of distance between him and the act yeah it's like the the classic thing of someone filming something bad happening instead of helping where because they're actually watching it on a screen it seems like it's happening somewhere else yeah it, it yeah it does create that distance the soggy revenants then do return <laughs> and they splish splash through his house ruining the carpet just uh, walk ruining it oh no respect. They walk into his bathroom and they drag him to the beach and bury him on the beach. And he goes mad shortly before the waves reach him. He mm. laughs hysterically mm. at this cruel twist of fate. He says, I can hold my breath for a very long time. Yeah, but not six hours. Sorry, no. buddy. And you can also, when he's buried, you can see uh, the, the moist revenances footprints leading back into the ocean. Oh, yeah. They have to mm. go back from whence they came. So my question now is, will Leslie Nielsen also become a wet wetinant? A revenant? A wet boy? I think he will become a wet boy. He's basically got two choices here. He could become a wet boy, like I assume his ex-wife now, and yeah. <laughs> Ted Danson. Or he could become a lazy boy yeah. and just be dead. <laughs> That's a callback, folks. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, Th that's it for something to tide you over. All right, the fourth one, my personal favorite one, is mm -hmm. the crate. So, the crate, I think, is maybe the longest one as well in the film, and the one with the most scenes and different locations and characters. It's probably the most famous one from Creepshow, to be honest. Uh, so the crate starts off with a janitor. He's cleaning something in a university, a stairwell, and he's flipping a coin and the coin rolls underneath the stairs and he uh, unlocks it and reaches inside, gets his coin. Or no, wait, he doesn't unlock it, but he just peeks inside and he sees there's a crate in there that says Arctic Expedition 18 something. 34, I think. Yeah, something like ridiculously old, probably from back when the university was just getting started. And which is also, I think, uh, a reference to our boy Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Yes. With what, what was the Arctic one? At the Mountains of mountains Madness. Mountains of Madness, correct. Excellent. Yeah. I know a surprising amount about Lovecraft. I don't think that's very surprising, Fraser. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so he calls over one of the professors, our main character, Henry. No? Our, main, our other main character, what the hell is his name? Stan? Stanley? I don't know. Let's Let call see. him Stanley. Mike the janitor. No, I didn't write his name down. No. Okay, well, let's call him Stanley. Uh, so he's a bit of a creepy prof, but he comes to check out this crate. He and the janitor open it, and a fuzzy kind of werewolf-looking thing tears into the janitor. Just the cutest and boy. And just like gobbles Aww. him up. All of him. I wasn't surprised to see that uh, this fuzzy little critter managed to eat the whole janitor because uh, at this point it's been in the box for more than a hundred years. Mm. I would be a bit peckish too. You can't blame him. He's just doing what Cthulhu intended him to do. Exactly. So Mike the janitor gets eaten and the professor starts freaking out. He goes to his meek other professor friend, his, his colleague, and tells him everything. The colleague has an overbearing wife who he has oh, this repeated is Henry fantasies of murdering. Henry, yeah. Henry doses the first professor with a sleeping tablet, and Henry goes to the university and cleans up the scene of the crime. And at this point, I was like, what the hell is going on? Why is he... Yeah. Wh what's he doing? And he lies to his wife. He tells his wife that he's going to help Stan with his uh, sexual assault case. Or like that yeah. there's some girl yeah. there. Yeah, that Stan assaulted. And the wife doesn't seem surprised by this. Uh, the wife's name is Billy. Or she wants to be called Billy. She seems kind of delighted. She takes a lot of pleasure in other people's misfortune. Yes. All of these tales can be read as morality, like little morality plays. Sure. Although I feel like pretty much everyone in this segment is kind of awful, except for Mike the janitor. He's sweet, but he gets eaten. Yeah. So Billy rocks up at the university. Her husband is laughing. He's having a great time. And he tells, he tells her that, no, the girl is so upset. She's curled up in the corner. And once Billy sees her, she will know just why it's so funny. So she peeks in underneath the stairs and she doesn't see anything. So he shoves her in there and nothing happens. And he seems disappointed and a little bit perturbed. So he grabs her and starts shaking her against the box mm. and eventually she fights back and he stops and they sort of start having probably for the first time in their relationship an even keeled argument about or discussion about exactly what's wrong. Yeah. And just as they're making some progress, Crate Boy yeah. pops out and just gobbles up Billy mm. and um, <laughs> Henry locks up the box, takes the, the critter in the crate to the local flooded quarry and dumps it down, assuming it would die. But as we all know, you can't kill a crate critter, but you can break the crate. What a fucking dingus. Uh, the critter escapes and is now unleashed upon an unsuspecting world once more. Yeah. And yeah, and Henry and Stanley go back to playing chess. I think they've found what they've always wanted, which is each just other. to play chess with each other without yeah. any interruptions. Henry seems much more pleased with the situation than Stanley. Stanley mm. does seem disturbed by everything that happened. He may not be the most moral professor, but it doesn't seem like he is 
openly okay with murder. Yeah, um, Henry, on the other hand, definitely super okay. Well, that's the thing. He's not okay with murder, right? That's why he hasn't actually killed his wife. And, and this is his way of killing her, but also having a layer of innocence to it. Like, oh, I didn't kill her. The monster killed her, even though I yeah, yeah, yeah. basically baited the monster with her. Again, it, it plays into a sense of control and possession, but this mm. time from the opposite end of the relationship, where Billy is controlling Henry, much like the papa from Father's Day. The yeah, segment. very much, yeah. Uh, and then just like Aunt Bedelia, uh, Henry murders his tormentor, this time not using a marble ashtray, which... I have to point out, the marble ashtray, mm -hmm. it's in every single segment. <gasps> I didn't notice that. Yeah. What? In, uh, some, in Something to Tide You Over, Leslie Nielsen uses, uses it as a, as a slope holder thingy. Oh, shit. Uh, it's also in Henry's office uh, during this segment. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's all over. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I dig that. Yeah, I like so that. it's like a little throwback. It all exists in the same sort yeah. of universe, the marble ashtray universe. So, uh, what do you think this monster, what do you think Crate Boy represents in this film? Well, I would hazard a guess that Crate Boy is, at least biologically, he seems to be ape-like. Mm -hmm. He's got hands, he's got eyes, but then also he has, he has wolf-like characteristics. Yeah. So maybe some predatory Arctic ape uh, type um, thing. What he what he represents though is I don't know. It's it's not entirely it's like clear. A, yeah, it seems like a almost a a, monster a, in the a, box. An unending appetite, a like a black hole of of consumption. Because uh, yeah, yeah. Henry once, as once he pops, he he just can't stop. Just Please can't sponsor us, Pringles. Pringles. Please sponsor us. We know you're listening. We, <laughs> we have proof. We know. Henry also says while he's on his way to dump uh, the crate in the quarry, he says, like, I wonder where all the bodies went. Like, how did this fucking thing eat that many people? Yeah. Uh, so, and especially so quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, there is something of that, like, endless hunger a violent appetite, perhaps. We also have to factor in the fact that the monster is hidden. It's sort of kept mm. in a box. And it's this ravenous hunger that is hidden away. It could be in many ways uh, just a, a way to illustrate Henry's own deeply held desire for his wife's demise. Yeah. That he indulges in fantasy, but he can never truly realize. Because mm. he's, he's a coward. Yeah. At the end of the day, he's a coward. Uh, I mean, he doesn't have to kill her. There's this thing called divorce, which yeah, I Yeah, I don't hear, know if they've ever heard about it. Yeah, I hear it, it solves this kind of problem. They really should have looked at that before before turning to murder. 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 Yeah. Murder. <laughs> um, we then cut to the final segment. They're creeping up on you. Uh, this one was my favorite. Oh, yeah? So in this one, we meet a Scrooge-like character named Upson Pratt. And boy, is he ever a Pratt. What a dink. Uh, Upson Pratt is a cruel, ruthless businessman who aggressively takes over the companies of others and rejoices in the misfortune of others. He is also incredibly germaphobic. So he's locked himself yeah. uh, like Howard Hughes. Yeah, so he's a, a Howard Hughes type uh, germaphobe who is super rich and locks himself in a hermetically sealed bunker of sorts, his apartment, yeah. that is supposedly germ-proof. Yeah, but as soon as the segment starts, we see that something is creeping up on him, and that something... He was a cockroach. He goes on a rampage with insecticide. Yeah. And the more cockroaches he kills, the more cockroaches he sees. All the while, he is actively 
his his company is actively buying out a competitor's company, leading to yeah. his competitor's suicide. And Which he is very happy about. Oh, he is overjoyed. Uh, his competitor's widow even phones him, and he is gloating. And so he's really quite a piece of shit. He's he's trying to kill these cockroaches. He's trying to force someone to get a... Uh, wanted to say executioner an exterminator um <laughs> in the middle of yeah. the night he's incredibly demanding he's forcing his employees to keep working threatens to fire them and the cockroaches just keep coming so eventually yeah. a blackout hits the whole city and his apartment and he goes to seal himself into i guess the bunker within a bunker his panic room of sorts his even more hermetically sealed bedroom and of course this does not help because the whole thing is chock-a-block with roaches the call came from inside your bed uh and they eat him they eat him they up fully eat him uh he has a heart attack and next thing we see is a prosthetic Upson pratt much like a story i've written bursts into a shower of roaches <sighs> very spooky very scary and overall quite nasty mm, mm, mm. but uh going on upson pratt's characterization we don't feel sorry for him in this instance not at all again this is this is just continuing that morality play sort of aesthetic where mm, mm, he's established mm. as an awful piece of shit before i mean he's racist he is a soulless sexist. businessman. Yeah. Sexist. He's literally um, overjoyed that someone killed themselves because of him. Yeah, he can't imagine anything more pleasurable than than that fact. Uh, he looks out over the city and comments on how everyone is roaches and like the people are all just yeah. there to be crushed. And I think that quite obviously leads to what this segment is trying to say right that he's trying to keep the victims of his exploitation at bay but there are just too many of them and they'll get you someday yeah. they're coming for you it's like what tupac said is that one day you know if the people are hungry hungry enough they'll just eat the rich yeah exactly so yeah, his his whole germophobic thing is him trying to isolate himself from the the consequences of his actions in a sense. Yeah. To he expects people to still be at his beck and call, yeah, but to be distant from him. Yeah, yeah, he wants to both own the entire world and be completely isolated from it. Yeah. Cuz he he's too good for it. A funny thing about such germophobia is that it makes one more susceptible to disease really? uh, if you're not exposed to germs. Yeah, because like uh, you right. need your body, need, your immune system needs to keep fighting mm. to stay in tip-top shape. So people who are isolated uh, and exist in germ-free bubbles, when they come out of that bubble, they've got a risk of massive infection from pretty much yeah. anything. Shit, yeah. So, yeah, if Pratt had walked out the door, he'd probably catch a cold that'd kill him. Yeah, pretty much. Because he, you know, his body wouldn't know what a cold is anymore. Funnily enough, though, cockroaches are very clean, supposedly. Yeah, they uh, take real good care of themselves. Yeah, <laughs> they look what? nasty and they're very shiny and greasy looking. I don't like them. Uh... But in one of the most shocking scenes um... of this segment, though... Upson Pratt makes like a smoothie of some sort and he eats it and then eventually realizes that there's something wrong with the smoothie. smoothie. So he checks his muesli and inside the muesli, of course, roaches. Uh, fuck, that freaks me out so much. Yeah, that's nasty. Uh, I've eaten a scorpion here in China. I've eaten a scorpion yeah. and the legs are just crispy nothingness, but the body... I bit into it, and I was like, oh, God, this is what it feels like to eat a roach. Oh, it's so nasty. Oh, it's <gasps> fuck. Okay. I'm so I'm gonna, not doing that again. I'm Don't do it. it. Uh, no, you'll get in trouble. Uh, oh, so uh, gross. Oh, fuck, okay. it's so gross. <sighs> they Keep use, uh, by the way, another little trivia. Uh, they use 20 
thousand cockroaches uh, for this segment. I would not be on set when they unleashed 20,000 cockroaches. No, no. No. That's in my that's, fucking contract. No roaches. That's three spooky, five me. Can't do it. <laughs> Uh, okay, so yeah, uh, Upton gets his comeuppance. We're kind of grossed out, but not too sad that he's dead. So not all in sad, all, I just think a, a good end to the main segments of the film. Uh, we yeah. return then, of course, to our framing narrative. It's the next day, and the trash men are coming around, and they pick up little kid's copy of Creepshow, and they're kind of paging through it like, Oh, hey, X-ray specs. Oh, hey, like bodybuilding, the Charles Atlas uh, thing. Uh, oh, a voodoo yeah. doll. Uh, but someone's already used the coupon for the voodoo doll, so uh, yep. whatever. And they continue with their lines. Then we cut to Dad, <laughs> the one God put on Earth to slap children. Yep, good and old he's Dad. Got a bit, he's got a bit of a neck pain. Yeah, he slept funny or something. And, of course, it turns out the kid is using the voodoo doll he ordered through the magazine to just punch a bunch of fucking holes in his father. <laughs> yeah, dad dies a horrible death, repeated needle-to-throating, yeah. and the boy smiles in evil glee as he can feel the magical power. And I feel like if the dad had let the boy read the comic and read father's day the first story then the boy might have would not. decided not to kill his father yeah it is strange how the framing narrative is about a boy jilted by his dad now coming to take his revenge and many mm. of the stories contained within this creep show comic are about like a the father-child relationship that sort of paternal yeah. dominance and you know fighting the dominance type yeah, of motif it feels like like they're making Kafka references. Yeah. Especially in how the fathers are portrayed as as domineering and kind of gross and these kind of overwhelming, powerful forces. Yeah. Something to be appeased. So, yeah, the dad basically signed his own death warrant by throwing the kid's comic out. Yep. Never throw a comic book out. Uh, they might have value someday. Yeah, let that be a lesson to you. And that brings us to the end of Creepshow. We did it. That's the end of another episode of Be Positive the Positive B-Movie Podcast. Well, Louis, before we continue, if you Mm. had to rate this film... Oh, right. ...out of... 20,000 cockroaches. Yes. How many cockroaches would you flood (laughs) into a room uh, for this film? I would, out of 20,000 cockroaches, I would give this film a solid 12,000 cockroaches. 12,532 cockroaches. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, I would give it around 13,327 cockroaches. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, I did like it. It is... Hailed is one of the best horror anthology films. I don't feel like it's the best mm. I've seen. Uh, it is yeah, good. I, and it's I don't know well if I've made. ever seen a best horror anthology movie. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're usually like a little inconsistent. horror anthologies are all B-movies just by the nature of anthology films. Definitely. Yeah, this is not a bad movie. You've got some real talent in front of and behind the cameras here. So. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, Big it challenge. I hope it got you nice and spooky for the Halloween season. Yeah. So Halloween is coming up. It's also Fraser's birthday month. And we're going to be doing whoop. something a little special for October. We're going to keep it spooky scary with five movies. Five oh, weeks in October. Oh, five God. movies. One episode a week. Uh, Can you dig it? Yeah. Can so we're you gonna be, dig it? <laughs> we're going to be speeding <laughs> up our release schedule for this month. Hopefully, we can crack it. Hopefully, we can keep up with it. Uh, and hopefully, you folks enjoy it. Yeah. 
it will be known henceforth as Werewolf Appreciation Month and will mm -hmm. be starting in one week's time from this release with Helen Keller versus Nightwolf. <laughs> oh, wow. What a title. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm excited. Just a classic tale of Helen Keller. I'm a big fan Nightwolf. of Helen's. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Nightwolf. So we bring our two loves together. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay, family. Uh, we love you so, so much. Yep. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, at Stay Scary for all the business. Uh, yeah, like and, and yeah. subscribe. Check out our new Facebook group. We're posting memes a lot. We got the memes. We got the, we got the spooky memes. And then as always, yeah. you stay scary. Uh, that's one spooky box you got there. Mm, it's from the Arctic. Oh man, nothing good ever comes from the Arctic. Like no, rising sea levels, uh, new super bugs trapped from the ice age. Ugh, disgusting. I hate it. I will never it. go the there Arctic. for a holiday. Yeah, Bomb the Arctic. Melt it. Bomb the bloody Arctic. Um, did you know that, like, in the. not the flat earth, uh, but the hollow earth. Oh, God. Uh, theory they believe that at the North Pole for